It's Friday night, and your work week is over. Kick back and get the latest on the Indianapolis Colts. Jonathan Taylor, touchdown! The 10, the 5, a pick 6 for the Colts! Get up to speed on the Colts and the NFL, starting now. And he walks into the end zone! Touchdown, I-N-D-Y! This is the Colts Happy Hour on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, we continue on from Parks Place Pub. We're in Fishers today. Larceny, Bourbon Locks, Luna Zool, Tequila Shots on what is this Friday. Normally on a Thursday, but on this Friday today. Uh, Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports is going to join us coming up here in just a minute. Remember, Colts Happy Hour brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Download the app today and make every moment more. Truth or Trash question is follows with the Colts win last night, 45-30 over the New York Jets on Thursday night to get week nine officially underway. Here's your truth or trash question. Jonathan Taylor will see at least 20 touches every week moving forward. Truth or trash? See you, Daryl. Good to see you, man. Here's the thing. He had 19 last night for a buck 72. And you saw also Naheem Hines get a lot of work. Frank Reich is just not going to go... 20 plus if ever often uh, I'm going to go ahead and trash that one up right now I think 19 is going to be maybe the high water mark I mean maybe occasionally over 20 but I don't think it's going to be that way very often last night 19 carries 172 rushing yards that was a season high uh, he Outstanding. Naheem Hines was outstanding as well. Uh, that's your truth or trash question here on Colts Happy Hour. Joining us now uh, from Yahoo Sports, Eric Edholm covers the NFL for Yahoo. Um, what do you make of, of Jonathan Taylor? Take Derrick Henry out of the equation because as of right now, he's on IR and we'll see if he misses the remainder of the season or not. But take him out of the equation. Is Jonathan Taylor right now the second best running back and certainly at the top of the list of offensive weapons in the NFL as we talk presently? Yeah, I, you know, I think, you know, there's a case for Nick Chubb. I think there's a case for, you know, probably the way Ezekiel Elliott's running. I know people might scoff and not are fans of his game, you know, or Dalvin Cook, but I, I'm a huge Jonathan Taylor fan. I mean, Coming out of college, I do a lot of draft stuff. You know, the, the, the fumbling was a, was a concern. The lack of use as a receiver, the lack of diversity as a receiver is a lot of check downs and screens and that sort of thing. But, I mean, he's really worked on those issues, I think. And, obviously, his, you know, his game-changing speed, his size, his toughness inside, you know, I think his instincts have, have improved as well, too, knowing exactly, you know, when to make cuts and when to hit the hole and when to press it, when to hold. All those things, I think, have developed really nicely. And, and I, you know, the, the combination of he and Hines have, have really borne some tremendous fruit. Yeah. You, you think that they should be utilizing him more? He, he had it 19 times, as I mentioned, as we brought you on for 172. And Frank has been adamant, Frank Reich, about, you know, spreading the ball around. And I think that's what he's going to do. And sometimes it feels that way to a detriment. Should he be utilized more, or is that kind of the right number, you think, for Jonathan Taylor day in and day out? Well, you know, I, yeah, it's a great question, right? I mean, you have to consider, you know, how injury-prone the backs are, how much, you know, you got to look at your data and what you know about the players to figure out, uh, you know, is, is there a law of diminishing returns that kicks in at some point, right? I mean, if, if 20 carries is better than 15, that doesn't necessarily mean 25 is better than 20, and so – at some point, there is a physical toll. But if you can also exert that physical toll on the opponents, right, they're the ones having to tackle the guy. And, you know, I, I saw Brandon Staley, the Chargers coach, about a month ago have a, have a great quote on that. And so he's right. You know, the run game, while less effective on a play-by-play basis than, than the past, everybody knows that, right, it still has a physical effect on the defense that can't be denied. You spend – you know, four quarters trying to tackle a, a back like that, whether it's trying to chase him down or take him head on in the hole, it's hard. And so, yeah, like, you know, you look back at Wisconsin, he had plenty of games where he had 29, 34, you know, how many ever carries a game. You know, he did it time and time again. But you'd like to preserve him, too, and you'd like to have him in January if they're, if they're playing in the playoffs. 
So Eric Edholm joins us from Yahoo, covers the NFL on Colts Happy Hour, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fam. Uh, you saw what happened last night. I mean, the Colts offensively just ate up the Jets, especially with the running game. The Jets had been a top 10 run defense up until that point. How much of that do you think was Jets and a lot of defensive ineptitude last night? or the Colts just kind of exerting their offensive will and being that good. How do you combo up the two the way you looked at that performance last night, Eric? Yeah, it was, you know, probably a combination of the two. I know that's a cop-out in saying that, right? But um, it was probably their worst defensive game of the year, talking about the Jets. I mean, you know, they, they had their issues in the past. As you mentioned, statistically, they've been pretty good against the run coming in. You know, it, it clearly missing gaps and getting blown off the ball in a lot of cases was part of it. You know, Taylor obviously doing his work and, and Hines as well chipping in. And you know, I mean, we, we have to we have to obviously credit them. But you know, short week on the road always going to be tough for a defense. You know, they might have been a little bit more banged up than we realized, things like that. Uh, but I don't want to downplay what anytime there's a dominant rushing performance like that. I think you start with the offense and kind of work backward. What were they able to do to to have that success and, and that's, a, that's a good place to start because it just sort of feels like that's I, I don't want to say that's how the team was built but I think there was a lot of that in mind when, when Chris Ballard and his staff built this roster you know toughness and and strength at the point of attack and you know being able to run the ball when they want to run the ball and, and kind of set the tone in that matter so I, I definitely want to make sure to, to give them the proper uh, credit for for being able to do that and having that kind of a roster. All right, Eric, last week Carson Wentz, really he struggled throughout the game, and that's why it was a head-scratcher as to why uh, he ended up throwing it 51 times in that overtime loss to Tennessee. But it was evident late in the game he had that uh, near the goal line situation that was uh, uh, Benny Hill, Yakety Sacks type of sketch. And then, you know, the overtime pick I thought was the most egregious of all. Um, where, you know, all you had to do was work your way to get a, a field goal and you, you didn't have to rush it, didn't have to force it as he did. But overall, including the game last night, what have been your thoughts on the rebirth of sorts that has been going on here with Carson Wentz as quarterback, especially after the end of his career last year in Philly? Yeah, and I think that's a good way to phrase it. I mean, it was, it was one of those things where you could tell a lot of people who were commenting on, on Wentz two, three, four weeks ago, social media or people writing stories, you know, the, the ones who hadn't watched him play were, were still kind of stuck in the, the idea that, well, Wentz can lose you a game at any point, right? We've seen it in Philadelphia, and that's just who he is. Well, obviously the Tennessee game gave those folks some ammo. Those, but, you know, a lot of what led up to that, not only in, in that game itself, but in the games prior to that, I thought he looked pretty good. I thought he started getting in a rhythm, started getting some confidence. There's always this hold-your-breath quality with him where, you know, it's almost like the longer he has the ball in his hands, the, the, the propensity of things going poorly goes up, you know, which you probably say for a lot of quarterbacks too. So there is still that, that idea that when he's more efficient, he's getting the ball out in, on time and in rhythm, boy, he can be really dangerous. And that's that's an exciting thing that, you know, they, they may have they have, may have solved this issue. Are there still things I think you need to work out with him or, and get him to play a little bit more within the system? Sure. But overall, I've been impressed. This has been a, this has been a comeback year of sorts for him, and he's in a good place. I always thought this was the best landing spot for him, and it worked out really well. And, you know, with, with continued time and growth, I think, you know, we can get back to considering him as a possible, you know, top 10 or 12 quarterback in this league at some point. Eric Edholm joins us. Final quick thing with you and, you know, what transpired. You know, Pat had um, Aaron Rodgers on today and what's going down in Green Bay with you know, him being unavailable. Jordan Love getting the start at Arrowhead against Kansas City coming up on Sunday. And, and all that was said today, what, what, do you, what do you make of this? And is this something that once he gets back on the field is going to quiet down or is this going to trail him for a while, you think? Well, yeah, I suspect it'll 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 be stuck with him for a while. You know, there there are people who are not going to let this go, right? I mean, I, and you know, I, I sort of fall somewhere in the middle. Ultimately, it's you know, what happens with the player on the field and in between the lines. But at the same time, 
you know, there are a lot of people who have really strong feelings about this and feel like, you know, no matter what you think about the vaccine or mandates, I mean, he knew what would happen if he tested positive. He knew the guidelines that his union set forth and the NFL agreed to. If an unvaccinated player is is test positive, they have a different set of criteria that, that happen than one who is vaccinated. Is it fair? I don't know. Maybe. Yes. Perhaps. No. Maybe not. But when you have that knowledge and you're the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, after everything we went through this offseason, you have to be prepared for some pushback on this. I think he... You know, you're, you're living in a little bit of your own universe if you don't think that, that some of this isn't going to be a little bit of fair criticism. All right, one final quick thing. Odell Beckham Jr. lands where, in your opinion, Eric? Great question. I thought about it a lot. I mean, there's, you know, on, on paper, there's a lot of teams that certainly could use the talent. I mean, I, the question I have is, basically, if you read between the lines, Cleveland is saying that Odell isn't where he needs to be, right? On the field, mentally, in the locker room, he, he's not doing the things that the coaches are asking him to do. And other teams are going to look at that and say, sure, you know, he's, he's got all-world ability. He was a little banged up, too. The shoulders have been bothering him. But really, it's the dependability factor. How many teams are going to be able to comfortable with that? New Orleans, he's from the area. You know, he grew up in the city, went to LSU. There was some talk that maybe they'd kick the tires on trading for him. I would have to think they're a real option for him. The Patriots, the Ravens traditionally have been teams that have, you know, taken some risks like this, you know, could see a player that and, and have strong enough leaders in locker rooms and, and head coaches to where they could probably, you know, cut bait and not and not have their reputations tarnished by it so it's it's kind of has to be like a team like that or a, a team that's just in go for broke mode and says you know we'll sign him for the rest of the year if he goes unclaimed and let's just keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best and hope that he plays with the idea of kind of rehabilitating his image a little bit so eric at home right there yahoo sports covers the nfl uh, with us on colt's happy hour eric Thank you for this Friday early evening visit, and enjoy the rest of the NFL weekend. All right, you too as well. Thanks. Appreciate it. Eric Edholm right there of Yahoo on Colts Happy Hour, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel Sportsbook. Single-game tickets for the Colts 2021 season still on sale. Home games that remain include the Patriots, Raiders, Buccaneers, and, uh, of course, you got the uh, Jaguars coming up on Sunday as well. So you can check them out, Ticketmaster.com or Colts.com slash tickets today. All right. Other side, we've got Frank Reich and his meeting with the media after last night's win. 45-30 Colts over the Jets, and we're discussing that and more. Rick Venturi's on the way, too. We're live from Parks Place Pub. We are in Fishers, and this is Colts Happy Hour, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. A full hour dedicated to Colts football. This is the Colts Happy Hour on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, welcome back. Colts Happy Hour, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Truth to trash. More than 20 consistently for Jonathan Taylor, the Colts running back. Touches, yes. Carries, no. More than 20 touches, I think. That is going to be consistent in a game. But if you read that as carries, I don't think consistently is going to be um, 20-plus carries a game. But I think touches is probably pretty fair. Hey, Colts win 45-30 last night on Thursday Night Football to start week number nine. If you missed it, Frank Reich met with the media after the game, or is that after the game or earlier today? Whatever the case, explains a lot of what went down, talks about a lot of things that would be considered incredibly good from a Colts offense last night. This is not necessarily based on last night's game, but when you guys made the the move to go get Carson, that wasn't just a one-year thing. That was probably going to be a couple years thing. And I know we're nine games in, but has everything you've seen emboldened your move to go get him? And, and do you feel like moving forward, you feel even more confident that that he's the guy moving forward at that position? Yeah, I really do. I mean, um, I think we're making good progress. I think he's making great progress. I think he's played a lot of good football. We still got to get better, all of us. Um, 
I think if before the year started, if we took a poll around, you know, NFL media and experts and said nine games into it, Carson's going to have 17 touchdowns and three interceptions, would you take that? And would that be a good step in the right direction? Would that? And I, I think we would all say yes. But I think more importantly, um, you know, how he's done it, you know, how he's done it. Um, I, I think there's been a lot of good things. and um, But can't take anything for granted, right? I mean, we, we, we've left ourselves no margin of error, and he's got to continue to get better. Mike Chappell. Frank, how you doing? Uh, how rare is it as, as a play caller when you come out of a game and you guys always talk balance and whatever, but I mean, last night was crazy balance, you know, 30, 30 and in, and the, uh, but how rare is that? And can, can you remember a time when you've really had that ideal balance? Yeah. Yeah. Not off the top of my head. I mean, I, the balance is, as, as we all probably know and appreciate, there's a sliding scale to me of what that balance means. I, I think these days, you know, balance in the NFL as far as run pass is not necessarily 50-50. You know, I think in the old days, I think it was 50-50. I think in, uh, in, these, in, these, in this brand of football, um, I think it's probably more like 55-45, 60-40. I think that's more what balance is. I think 50-50 is... Uh, is I think 50-50 is run heavy. And, and I love that. I love games that we can do that. I, shoot, I hope we have a lot of games that we can do that. That'd be great. Quick follow-up. Is there is there an update on Braden? No. Yeah, no update. I haven't talked to, with anybody yet this morning. Thank you. Joel Erickson. Frank, with uh, Carson kind of piggybacking off of what you said last night, but just uh, – how, how's he doing in terms of continuing to, to understand the offense and, and know all that stuff and be able to make those checks and everything? Really well. Um, this is one of the things that I said to Chris in the offseason. Um, what's one of the things that's unique about Carson? You know, he's got this size, strength, arm talent, um, this physicality that with the way he plays, but yet he's got – he really has elite intelligence, Um he has elite intelligence. So um, what we have to, what we're always working towards, right? What we're all, you know, intelligence is one thing, but then being a good decision maker is another thing. And, uh, and I think he's grading out very high as a decision maker um, this year. And throughout much of his career, he grades out very high as a decision maker. That's why we went after him because I think he's a good decision maker, but um there's always going to be bumps along the road. You know, we're always going to, we're always going to, you know, play. It's a hard position to play, but he's very smart and handling the offense extremely well. Um, really trust him with a lot of it, you know, trust him and really want to empower him. And, um, it, it, but it's always a fine line there. We, we, we talk about a healthy tension and I do understand like, even with a guy like Carson, because he is so aggressive and bold that part of my job and Marcus's job is um, to quote unquote, yeah, okay, we want to give him the keys, but there's still boundaries and we still got to set boundaries. And that's the healthy tension we're always looking for, but he's doing a great job. JJ. Hey Frank, having coached wide receivers in the past, what, what makes a good run block for a wide receiver? Um. <laughs> you know, being aggressive, um, getting the right leverage, JJ. I mean, really, the le- it's all about leverage and physicality. So understanding the angle that the runner's coming. Do I need to be on the tight, like Coach Grow will talk about, hey, we want to be tight inside number, tight outside number, head up. Um, if you're going to lose the guy, lose him to your outside, lose him to your inside. So those are all the little nuances that um, – Sometimes a good block is, hey, that safety's coming down hard, and you're not going to you're not going to be able to get in front of him on his front number. But if you can, if he feels your presence, you can still influence him. So sometimes a, re- a receiver is just influencing a defensive back. And as you guys know, our receivers take a lot of pride in um, in that. And I think, I mean, we have to be one of the best wide receiving 
blocking units in the NFL. I really believe that. And where does where does Michael Pittman come with that? And and kind of on top of that, what does it set a tone for the entire team that your your leading wide receiver has that mentality? Yeah, it's a big deal. It's not just uh, in the past couple of years. It's all been Zach Pascal. You know, it's all been Zach. Um, but now all of a sudden, when your number one receiver is like, oh no, no, wait a second, I'm just as physical. You know, I think Coach Crow, you'll have to ask him sometime. He gives out a an award each week. I, I think he calls it the sombrero, you know, the big sombrero award or something like that. Um, and I think it has to do with their blocking ability. And they they all want to get they all want to get that award every week. They work hard at it. George Bremer. Shifting back to Carson for a second. Uh, when, when he came in, you guys said you don't want to make him Superman. Don't make him do too much. You'll let him play within the offense. Was last night in some ways kind of a perfect picture of, of how you want that to look? Yeah, pretty close. I mean, I mean, really played, like I said last night, I mean, it was pretty near flawless performance. By, you know, I mean, a really good outing by the offense in general. Kind of like the week before how I said the defense – had had their best outing of, you know, what I thought was their best outing of the year against the Titans or a really stellar outing versus the Titans. It felt like, you know, this was one of those outings for the offense this week and um, by a lot of guys, but Carson certainly was, was at the top of that list. Chap. Thank you. If you look at the progression of the offensive line, I mean, it, it, I'm sure it struggled early for a lot of reasons, injuries and Fisher getting back. How would you how would you kind of gauge the progress and where it's at right now? It looks like it's making life a little bit easier for Jonathan Taylor and, and even Wentz. Yeah, I mean, last night, I mean, we gave up the one sack and it was in the very late and very late in the game, and it was a zero yard sack where Carson stepped up to run it. You know, the week before we threw fifty one times, gave up one sack, um, and then the run blocking. So I I, I really think. We're getting close to um, hitting on this all cylinders, so to speak. Um, and it's really a credit to the offensive line and Strauss and Kevin Y and those guys um, because I think what it is, Chap, is like we've really worked hard in practice. Now, this last week was a walkthrough, but like we really work hard in individual period, the offensive line. And I, I, I feel like we talk about that a lot, that as the season goes on, we don't want to lose the intensity of that individual period where we're working on those combination blocks and the timing and all those things. And so they, they deserve a lot of credit, but I think we're heading in the right direction. That's uh, Frank Reich a little bit earlier today. This is Colts Happy Hour live in Fishers today. And we have had a blast at Parks Place Pub. If you're ever in and around 116 and Lannard Road, this is it for sure. Hey, the form credit union question of the week is follows. So Danny Pinter caught his first career TD in the win over the Jets last night. He started his career at Ball State being a tight end before making that transition to the offensive line. He became the sixth lineman in the Colts' history to score a TD. Who was the lineman to catch a TD? All right, we'll get to that coming up on the other side. I can remember a couple off the top of my head. We'll do that coming up uh, in just a little bit. Plus, Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts, gets Rick Venturi going on what took place last night and this Colts team in the present. It's all a part of Colts Happy Hour, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Caesars Sportsbook, the sportsbook for the people. Download and get started with a risk-free bet of up to $5,000. Terms and conditions apply must be 21 years or older. Welcome back to the Colts Happy Hour. We're getting you in the know on the Colts heading into the weekend. We're brought to you by Meyer, the official super center of the Colts and proud sponsor of hundreds of local sports teams across the Midwest. Hey, speaking of sports teams tonight, shout out wherever you're going in and around the state of Indiana. It is football sectional Friday night. I should say football sectional final Friday night. And there are a myriad of incredible matchups, not just in the area in which I am at right now. Uh, I'm in Fishers, so obviously you got a lot of games. Uh, I know Hamilton Southeastern, Carmel's on the road at Brownsburg. Um, I talked about this Chittard and Ron Colley down on the south side uh, also coming up, too. So wherever you're going, shout out to Mount Vernon. 
Everybody in here wanted me to shout out to Mount Vernon. But wherever you are going, uh, be careful and enjoy what should be a fantastic Friday night of high school football. Got college football coming up tomorrow. Purdue a big one at home. Ross Aid versus Michigan State coming up tomorrow. I use on the road at the Big House tomorrow evening uh, versus the Michigan Wolverines. Uh, once again, Colts a winner last night, 45-30. to 30. There's Dan Mettler right there in the house, baby. 45-30 to get week nine started of the NFL in impressive offensive fashion. And for a breakdown, we go to the man, the source, actually the men in this case, the voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, and Rick Venturi with a breakdown of last night's game. Matt. All right, thank you, JMV. It's time for Inside Football with Rick Venturi, and we're going to talk about the Colts after nine games on both sides of the ball. The Colts are four and five, but they've won four of their last six games, and we're going to start first on offense, and Rick, the Colts have scored at least 30 points in four straight games for the first time since 2010. The running game has really taken shape lately. The Colts are coming off 260 against the Jets, the most by any team in the NFL this season. The offensive line's getting healthier. It's getting better. Carson Wentz has thrown at least two passing touchdowns in six straight games. Uh, Three of his top four passer rating games of his career have come this season, including a career-high 134 against the Jets. Um, He's only thrown three picks all year. Jonathan Taylor looks like he might be the NFL rushing champ now that Derrick Henry's banged up. Leads the NFL in scrimmage yards as well. Has an 83-yard run, a 78-yard run, a 76-yard catch. Naeem Hines came on against the Jets. And then Michael Pittman Jr. is emerging as a top receiver in year number two. He's on pace for over 1,200 receiving yards. Uh, Rick, those are my positives for an offense that, again, appears to be able to keep up with any team in the NFL the rest of the season. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think that this offense is a, is basically, and there's some things that we have to get better at, but it's potentially a deep playoff run offense. I mean, you chronicled a bunch of stats to me, scoring number eight, total 13, um, time of possession 11, which is your defense best friend, you know, rush number two in terms of yards per carry at 5-1, number two in the league. Uh, and, you know, I think the other thing that people are not probably watching too closely is that Carson has now moved up near the top 10 in QBR, which is my big stay. I think he's 11, but he's 11 moving up. So, you know, when I look at the positives, I think you have to look, when you look at the overall picture, you have to look at Wentz's game a week ago as an anomaly, the interceptions. I, I, I just think that's an anomaly. Now, I think it's important going forward that we keep him in rhythm and that we kind of keep him on the reservation so that he doesn't, in an attempt to make plays, that he overdoes that. But I think you're talking about one of the top quarterbacks in the league. He's going to be in that top 10 moving up. You have a great player in 28, and you have a very good player in 21. Kidman has emerged from schematic guy to a guy that wins one-on-ones. I mean, no question he he won it on the controversial touchdown, which to me wasn't controversial. He took three steps with that ball high. Our offensive line just dominated last night. I mean, it dominated. It pushed the line of scrimmage. The protection overall, you know, has has really been pretty good. You know, we're we're, st- we're sitting there in the top 15 and in, in, in sacks given up. So I, I think those things are giving you the 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 ability to be really good. You know, I think I hope that Frank can keep this identity. And I, I I'm going to say it right now. One of the things that I really like is that having an X amount, even more than we do, X amount of 28 and 21 in the game together. I call it fast regular. And I say that because you have, you know, right now at this point, the best runner in the National Football League in 28, you can keep a tight end in the game. But what you do is now you add this hybrid number 21, <clears throat> you know, Hines, and we don't have a great receiver core after after Pittman. So it's not like we're giving up a lot. And you've got a guy you can flank like we did last night. We ran him on a reverse. You can bring him back into the backfield and he can be the runner. I mean, you know, you can go wildcat with him. I mean, basically, I really like that grouping, and I would like to see us exploit it even more. But again, we have major league assets at this point. The guys that I mentioned, the numbers that I mentioned, adding the offensive line, you have game changers. Those guys are game changers. No, they're home run hitters. It isn't, 
just four yards in a cloud of dust. They're home run hitters. So, you know, there isn't any belief. There's a ton of positives here. And again, we are gradually moving up. And again, the key issue, scoring number eight. That's yeah. critical. And, you know, in terms of offensive tweaks that need to be made the rest of the season, I know it's only one game, but some are still talking about the 50 pass attempts against the Titans on Sunday. Um, some people want to see Jonathan Taylor carry the ball 40 times a game, if that's possible. Anything you want to see tweaked about the offense right now going into these last eight games? Well, I think I think a couple of things, uh, you know, and, and this isn't necessarily a tweak. This, to me, is just a continuance. I, I want us to maintain the identity, and it's not to me about necessarily. Now, you know, we blew it out in terms of rushing. There's, there's no question about we blew it out in terms of rushing. We had 246. Yard, yards rushing from uh you know from from Hines and uh uh Hines and Taylor no no doubt about it and then we I don't know how many yards we had passing to the two of them but it was a huge huge day for those two guys so I want to keep that identity along with Pittman as your number one guy just keep Wentz on the reservation and by that I mean here's what I mean by that is Make sure that in his attempt to win the game, when he's on the move, when he's extending, because we don't want him not to extend because he makes a lot of plays on his feet. But we have to make sure we get through to him when he's at such a disadvantage that he can't make the play. I don't like throwing with my left hand. I don't even like those underneath plays. If you know what I'm saying, I'm just I'm just saying that's where the control has to be. I, I think that we've got to develop that good number two and three threats. I was really happy to see Granson actually do something that I would hope he would did, which was make a play and get it downfield. And I think he can be in that mix. Zach will always be a really good role player, dependable guy. So I think we would like to find a more consistent number two guy now that Pittman is going to demand coverage and the running game is so those other the others on our team are going to get one-on-one all day Matt they're not they're not going to get any attention whatsoever so they have to play and then I am concerned I really am concerned about the Braden Smith thing he just seems to be on a hard luck season I mean he just can't do anything you know he, he, he goes in there he comes back and honestly since he's been back he has played his tail off I mean He's a block and fool over there. And then he comes up with a tricep. And I do think that, although I think Pryor has done a, a commendable job, I think it, I think it's something we have to worry about as we go forward is that right tackle position. It's uh, Matt Taylor, Rick Venturi right there. Part two is on the other side. They're going to go defense. And then the remaining game outlook for you. That is coming up next here on Colts Happy Hour. I've got an answer for you for the Forum Credit Union question of the week regarding Danny Pinter, the offensive lineman's touchdown catch last night. you got to love that. That might have been the play of the game for me because it was great how everybody came over. I mean, everybody, not just the offensive lineman, but everybody came over. Man, he had a smile. That's what you like to see right there. Got the answer for that question. I'll actually re-ask it and then answer it coming up for you. The Forum Credit Union Question of the Week coming up on the other side. Matt and Rick return as well. We're at Parks Place Pub. We are in Fishers, 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to the Colts Happy Hour. We're getting you in the know on the Colts heading into the weekend. Welcome back to Fishers with us. Thank you, Sam, for doing the engineering. Outstanding job. Cam is here. Sienna's here as well. Kyle is always back at the studio. And we are bringing you Colts Happy Hour from Fishers at Parks Place Pub, which has been outstanding. I mentioned this. So Danny Pinter last night, the Colts offensive lineman, caught a touchdown pass. His first career TD in that win over the Jets. He started his career at Ball State. The tight end is what he played before he transitioned into an offensive lineman. He became the sixth lineman for the Colts to score a TD. Who was the last lineman with a TD? The answer, Anthony Costanzo in 2014. That was off the pass. Jamie Richard prior to that, 08, a fumble recovery. Oh, Jeff Saturday in 07, the fumble recovery. (laughs) <laughs> it's Jeff Friday to everybody else. That's so great. Uh, Bill Schultz back in 1992 on the pass. 
And Randy Dixon in 1989 via a fumble recovery. Bill, Bill Schultz hadn't been mentioned in a while. Shout out, Billy. Visit Form Credit Union's Fan Forum section of Colts.com. Interact with other fans online. You can post a topic, participate in various discussions regarding the Colts. Form Credit Union helping members live their financial dreams. All right, part two. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor and Rick Venturi. And this is probably going to go in deep, and Rick's going to have a lot of thoughts on this Colts defense, which obviously was not good last night, even in that win, giving up 30 and many late to Josh Johnson in that Jets offense. But Matt and Rick have a conversation about the defense and what the rest of this schedule might look like. Matt. Thank you again, JMV. I'm Matt Taylor again with Rick Venturi on Inside Football. And, Rick, we've talked about the offense through nine games. Let's go on the defense. Defensively, the hallmark of that unit has been the run defense. The Colts are giving up just barely over 100 yards per game. Uh, They've held four teams to under 100 yards on the season. They've always been great at slowing down the run since 2018. They're elite at creating takeaways as well. As we know, dating back to last season, the Colts have now forced a turnover in 10 consecutive games. That's the longest active streak in the NFL. Uh, The Colts lead the NFL in forced turnovers with 20 on the season, and the offense is benefiting. They have 77 points off of turnovers. That's the most in the NFL. Uh, Rick, we'll talk about the pass defense in a minute. That's another story, but those are the positives for the Colts defense through nine games of the season. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And, you know, there's been some signatures in the Eberflus era, both positive and negative. And we're, and we're going to cover them because I don't believe because you win a game that you overlook. If you do that to me, you're an ostrich. I hear guys after the game justifying injuries and things like that. We'll get into that. But the tremendous positives, the number one positives, and this is the salvation of this defense, it's the one salvation is the turnover machine. I mean, we're number, what, what are we at, 20 now? We're at, we're at half of 40, and I thought that was, after the first couple of weeks, I thought that was a joke, but we are half there. It's real deal. And, you know, it, it, as good as the team is, ideal-wise, there is no one like Leonard. I, I, I've never seen it. Uh, this guy, uh, This guy has the ability, and he does it day after day, week after week. If there's a most valuable stripper in this league, it is absolute Darius Leonard. And the game was 14-7 to then. I mean, it was still, you know, very much a football game, and he kind of gave it that gave us that comfort zone. It's always a game-changing play. I mean, the guy just has a knack. I, I just, I, I'm just amazed at it, to be honest with you. So I think, you know, that the turnover team is what has saved us. That's our signature, and, you know, that's got to continue. Um, also, our rush defense has been a signature, and it's really gotten better and better, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I think we're now number eight in yards per rush. And that, the, the, the biggest key is always yards per rush both sides of the ball. It's not not necessarily total rush because that has to do with games, who you're playing, you know, tempo of the game. But the fact that we're holding people right at 4-0, you know, and we've been through some pretty good rushing teams. Uh, those two signatures are are really amazing. I do think you know it's a little bit lost because he's not in the in the sack column. But I thought Pay had two really good rushes, two good hits on the quarterback that affected the quarterback. We didn't get him down, but we affected it. Um, you know, I think Okereke is coming now. He'll never be confused with Dick Butkus in the middle because he isn't that style. But he has really gotten better. I mean, he's not out of position very much. He's making a lot of tackles. He's really trying to get upfield uh, in the in the running game. So you know, I think those are are, are key deals there. Um, obviously, Kenny Moore is a real stalwart. You know, he's he's right next to Leonard to me in value uh, on this team because he comes up with big plays. He never comes out. Uh, he plays tough. He plays his position like an all pro to tell you the truth. So, you know, to me, those are the key positives, particularly two positives that have been a signature of this team, one turnovers and two rush defense. Yeah. All right. Then as far as defensive tweaks, I mean, we've talked about it. The Colts are giving up 69% completion percentage on the year. And no matter who the quarterback seems to be, they're able to complete a high volume of throws especially the short and intermediate throws. 
Uh, Josh Johnson and Mike White, they combined for 398 yards, four touchdowns, only one interception. And again, it was a little disheartening on a night when the Colts should have won bigger than they yeah. did, honestly. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, <clears throat> you know, there is a tendency to relax with the big, but I, I'm not going to go there because I think, and I'm not going to go injuries because this is a pattern as good as the pattern has been on turnover and rushes, this is the third signature, and it's a terrific negative. And this is a passing league. It isn't a running league. As I said, if you look at the percentage against you, you, you just chronicled at 69%, which sits you at number 30. The bottom 10 teams there are bottom-feeding defenses. And other than us and the Chiefs, there's nobody that's even competitive in the league in that bottom 10. And there's four stats that are killing you. It's percentage at 30. It's passer rating. And this goes back four years, as I chronicled early. It's not just the Drew Breeses. It's just not the Drew Breeses. It's the Minshews. It's the Bortles. It's, you know, it's, it's now Josh Johnson. I mean, you cannot continue to let this happen. And I'm a little disappointed in West 56th Street that we haven't done something about it. You know, and, you know, I, again, it's a combination of many things, but schematically there's an issue because there's no nuance in the defense. And I will say they did come out Sunday and they played what I call a lot of four match early, which was a, which at least tried to get on those receivers quick. Cause we talked about how many balls went to the backs and we did a pretty good job, but then they got the ball downfield into the holes. And so we struggled schematically we also, now that wasn't apparent this week, but it was the week before. We've never been game specific to take away a key receiver to me, which is un- inexcusable. You know, we aren't getting a lot of rush. There isn't any question about that, but that is sometimes tied in with the coverage. People tend to think that it's rush that makes the secondary. It's, it's a two-way street. If you're allowing quick rhythm balls to come out, then your rush isn't going to get there. It's like a, you know, it, it's sometimes like a place kick. You can you can come from the outside and never get there, even if you're unblocked. So, you know, <clears throat> I don't know when they're going to address it. And this is something that the other thing that's amazing to me, because this has been a strength of ours, is our fourth quarter defense. This, you know, now a lot of it is catch up stuff, but we were always the third part of our really good defense was always rush defense, turnovers fourth quarter defense we always found a way to bow up and right now we're 29th you know giving up 9.8 points a quarter so you know if that isn't a red light now it should have been there for three years and it's hard to make it up during the regular season it really really is but you better damn sure do it because you're going to face four top quarterbacks in the last eight and four top offenses and if you don't shut that down I mean, you 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 can you can kiss playoffs goodbye. That's Rick Venturi. This is Inside Football. That's a recap: offense, defense, and a look at the Jets game as the Colts won on a short week, forty-five to thirty over New York. Lastly, Rick, as we wrap up, let's talk about what the rest of the season looks like. What is yeah. a reasonable expectation for the Colts given the schedule, the final eight games? We know about the the O for your last eight against playoff teams in two thousand twenty. Can the Colts close out some of these games and beat good teams down the stretch like the Bucks, the Bills, the Raiders, who look like they're headed for the playoffs this season? We're going to find out if they can win some of these games. But what are your tiers of games, if you will, yep. in the last eight? And how does that break down for the Colts? Yeah, you know, you kind of nailed it. And I talked about that in the beginning. The, the, the pluses, and I mean this as a plus, this is not a backhanded comment, but the Colts just post up and they win the games they should win. And now we're going to have to find a way to win some games that we're going to be the underdog in, or at least against good teams. Now, as I look at our team, and then I'm going to get into specifics that you've asked for is if I looked at our team last night at the end of nine games, and this is kind of a mid season break almost, I think at this point, and I, I think that our offense is good enough to get us, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with it. I, I think our offense is good enough to get us 10 to 11 wins. The way our defensive play is playing right now, they're going to keep us at eight and nine. 
So somewhere that offense has to stay consistent. And I think the biggest key there is keeping the identity and keeping Wentz on the reservation and then defensively flatly, guys, you got to fix it. You, if you have your head in the sand and you can't understand this after three and a half years, then you really don't deserve to be here, to be honest with you. Looking at the specifics, I'm going to put my analyst hat on more than my coaching hat because my coaching hat says the only game that we're interested is a week from Sunday against the Jaguars. That's it. And that's how I'm coaching my team. But my analyst says this because I've already studied the Jaguars and I know the Texans. So I think unless we have a meltdown of historic proportions, we should win those three division games. Okay. Two with the Jags and we should win the Texans game. And I mean that sincerely. I mean, and if we play our best and they play their best, we win those three games. Right. So if you look at it where we are right now, that is seven and five. Okay, that's seven and five. And I think that's a given. I think the Patriots at four and four are very average. I don't think I think Belichick will keep them competitive, but I think they're a very average team. And I'm going to give us the win there at home. Okay, the win there at home. I think we've got a nice break in between there also. And that puts us right. That's coming to, off the bye. Yeah, you, you with me on this? Yeah. And that 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 brings us, in my opinion, this is the analyst in me, to eight and five. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the key: eight and five. From here, you've got the Raiders. I mean, you got the Raiders, Arizona, you got Buffalo, and you got the Bucks. All potential division winners. All good teams. All quarterbacks who can light you up if you don't do something about what you're doing. And to me, the key issue there is you've got to get a split there. You've got to get a split there to get to 10, Matt. I think 10 will get you in. Okay, I can't guarantee it, but I think 10 will get you in. And realistically, the way if our offense continues to go and we can somehow fix this pass defense, then – you know, I think that you 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 got to be competitive though, and you got to find a way to split realistically those four games. If you do better, great. Do better, great. But find a way to split those, and you win ten. Now, obviously, those three division games. I mean, it, it, it's going to take a, 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 a catastrophe to lose one of those. And I think you beat the Patriots. Now, he's going to coach him well. He's going to be ready. But I think you win that one. So I think you're looking. You know, I th- I think you're looking at eight and five uh, with those uh, with those four games to go. So if you get to ten wins, that means in the last eight games, the Colts go six and two. And you know, I think that's necessary. I mean, you know, you know, I mean, you know, they, you know, I'm, and I'm not being critical, but they dug their own hole. I mean, you go, mm-hmm. you know, as you said the other night, you know, you start the you start the season zero and three. You know, now you, you're 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 climbing you're climbing a mountain. We found that a week. We found that a year ago. Right. As good as we played, and 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 we were eleven and five. But the initial loss in the regular season cost us a home playoff game. So you 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 know you're you're on an uphill climb. Uh, but the good news for me is between special teams and offense, we are near elite team. We're we're I will say this potentially elite team. We have to continue to play like we're playing. Yeah. You know, last night and most of the, I mean, we've been scoring like crazy. Come on. Over 30 and four straight games. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. that's doing something. Exactly. We haven't seen those numbers since Peyton Manning was the quarterback here. That's right. I mean, eighth in the league in scoring. Yeah. You know, but, you know, 17th in scoring on defense means you're, you know, you're kind of mediocre, but the other stats just kill you. Hey, that's uh, Rick Venturi right there and Matt Taylor on Colts Happy Hour. The Colts Audio Network includes the Colts official podcasts, radio shows, press conferences, and player interviews. And it's available on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you download podcasts. Listen to exclusive Colts audio content on demand and stay up to date with the Colts on your schedule. More to come. Colts Happy Hour on a Friday in Fishers. That's where we are on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We now return to the Colts Happy Hour, an inside look at the Colts on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Hey, welcome back. i got to thank everybody here. Uh, the Mats and Remington at Parks Place Pub here in Fishers. 
Oh, Brent Halverson for a Larceny Bourbon and Luna Azul Tequila. My man Nally has been here from uh, the Joe's Grill locations as well. Sam did a great job. This is the first time Sam's ever engineered. Sam, great job out of you. Cam, thank you for helping Sam. Thank you very much, Sianna. I got it right. I was good. I look at your, yeah. Sometimes I can't pronounce it. Sometimes I'm afraid. See, I knew it. I got it right. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Kyle back at the studio. This has been an excellent Friday uh, beyond belief. All right, uh, quickly, uh, you got the Pacers coming up later on tonight. 9.30 is when your pregame coverage begins. That's game one of a four-game Western road swing tonight. Moda Center in Portland coming off back-to-back wins over San Antonio and the Knicks are the Pacers uh, have struggled in Portland, not just this particular group, but in general the Pacers have over the years. 10 p.m. is the tip tonight in Portland. You've got the Pacers and you've got the Portland Trailblazers. Sunday, Pacers in Sacramento versus the Kings. And then next week, I think Wednesday and Thursday, you go back-to-back Denver and Utah to close out this Western Road swing. But hey, against the Knicks the other night, and San Antonio Monday night too, but certainly the Knicks the other night, Pacers look really good. Miles had a double-double on that game. And uh, if you want to follow the action later on tonight, you got it right here. Of course, our, our friend Kristen Airy is going to be a part of the Valley Sports Indiana broadcast along with Quinn and J.J. and Eddie Gill coming up later on tonight, too, if you can catch that. Television-wise, uh, for me tomorrow, 6 until midnight on B105.7, it's the JMV Takeover. We have three remaining until the Christmas music hiatus begins. So that's tomorrow night and then two more Saturday nights until the Christmas music hiatus. That's when B1057 goes Christmas music full-time up until the end of Christmas Day. And then after that, I'll be back on New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve this year is on a Friday night, so I'll be back for you on that Friday night, New Year's Eve. But three more JMB takeovers and all-80s weekend on B105.7. And I've got some new stuff for you coming up tomorrow night, 6 until, mid- six until midnight on B105.7. Uh, you've got Purdue. You've got um, Purdue and Michigan State tomorrow. That's in the afternoon in West Lafayette. You've got IU on the road in Michigan at the Big House tomorrow night. I think Notre Dame and Navy a matchup too. So everything going on this weekend, including tonight with high school football, sectional finals, I'm sure most everybody is already in their seat awaiting the games to get underway. And uh, Bob Lovell's got you covered uh, coming up on Network Indiana. Again, 9.30 tonight, 9.30 tomorrow night. Because of the Pacers, it is going to be different. But because of the Pacers, it's going to be different tonight. But, again, Network Indiana's got Bob uh, 9.30 tomorrow night as well. Hey, Kyle, great job. You guys, great job as well. We will bail. And remember, the Pacer pregame show begins at 9.30. That's coming up later on tonight right here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.